0: Hello, this is Brighter Evening, a podcast where we discuss fun, food, and ideas to make the world brighter. Good evening. My name is Josh, and this is Brighter Evening. Tonight we're going to be talking about permanence. The idea of permanence and what it means and takes to be long-lived. Our lifespans are very short in the grand scheme of things. The sun has been burning for over 5 billion years from the time that fission started in its core. It'll burn for about 5 billion more. The Andromeda galaxy is moving towards the Milky Way galaxy at 240,000 miles an hour, and yet it'll only come in contact in about 3 billion years. We haven't been around for that long a period of time, and yet there is a human desire... For permanence. The oldest story we have is the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's the oldest written story. It's about 4,000 years old. I know I had to read it in history class uh, in, in uh, college, and the topics in it are timeless, they're universal to our experience. It's interesting that the, the story that survived is a story about life and death. It's a story about this struggle to be permanent in some sense. It's a struggle against loss. And with with our short lives, how can anything truly be permanent? Whatever buildings are built will crumble. Every building you've probably been in will be gone in, in a few hundred years. Many types of ink fade when put on paper. And computer media... You know, the the discs and drives and tapes. They have a shelf life that's much shorter than you'd think, certainly shorter than a normal human lifespan. Many CDs and DVDs and and things that people burn have a lifespan of, on average, around 20 years. If they're kept in good conditions, they'll last longer, and if not, they won't. So what is it that will last beyond us? Well, Old old stories do this, right? Just like with Gilgamesh. Uh, the stories in the Bible are certainly remembered and many of the people in the Bible. And important people are remembered. We certainly remember some of the kings from a few hundred years ago, right? The you know, King George the Third is certainly still remembered in the United States. Uh, the Napoleon Bonaparte is is remembered. Several of the different King Louis in, in France. Um You know, some some other dynasties, maybe. But beyond a few hundred years ago, it's hard to remember. Um, There are a handful of well-built, well-positioned, and or lucky buildings that exist. The oldest of these is a French building from about 4850 BC. You know, it doesn't look like anything particularly special. It's just in the side of a hill made out of rocks. Uh, I, I went and counted, there's about 78 buildings that are older than the story of Gilgamesh. Which, if you consider how many buildings have been built since 4850 BC, that's almost 7,000 years ago, that's not many. That's not many at all. Um, you know, how many were built before that? It was certainly more than 78. If the if the world population was, say, 250 million at that time, which seems like a reasonable estimate, or maybe a hundred million, who knows. Every one of those people had a place to live. Some of them may have been in tents, and some of them may be tribal, but the majority were likely living in settled areas with buildings of one sort or another, right? Houses, marketplaces, and, and things of that nature. And yet, only 78 remain. And as you go through that list of buildings, not many remain from any given year. Most of them you know, you get maybe one per decade or one per century. So, buildings last. Not many, but they do. What else can last? Carvings last quite a while. Some art also. Um, You know, we, we know some of the earliest human creations or Neanderthal creations were paintings done in caves, right, that were... Maintained by virtue of the fact that they're in this enclosed environment and didn't get exposed to the sun and weren't washed away, and uh, old carvings, right? Things that were were carved into stone or clay tablets that again were were in a in a lucky position. They were kept somewhere that kept them from harm's way. Those tend to last, um, and those are things that are are pretty concrete and easy to consider as something. That can last. But remember, the time of things is finite, and so if we really want to look at how long things can last, let's look a little bit outside the human world, or or to the side of it. Thermodynamics has the concept of a dissipative system, and a dissipative system is something that's made from the interaction of its components rather than from the components itself or themselves. So, you think about a tornado, that's kind of the prototypical example. The tornado isn't necessarily made of air, it's made of wind, it's made of the motion of air, and, and, you know, low pressure system. Same thing with a hurricane. There are other examples of this. Um, A really simple thing to think about is convection, right? In, in like, a hot pot of water, the cold air, or cold water sinks, and the hot air rises, and it'll form kind of a, a pattern. Like, if you Put a little bit of water in the hot, or a little bit of coloring in the hot water. You'll see that it kind of makes this circular pattern as it as it propagates, and you can also see things like that happening with boiling, where you have a stable system, a stable thing that exists—a tornado, a hurricane, a convection current. Right? We have big convection currents in the ocean that are responsible for, for example, keeping Europe relatively warm, considering how far north most of Europe is. Um, you've got all these convection currents that do that stuff, but these currents they're really about a stable something similar to a standing wave, right? A stable relationship between pieces of uh, matter, you know, energy energy that's moving around in a stable way where it kind of reproduces itself as things move in and out. Um, It's said that life is this way. Energy moves towards this state of Low energy, right? That's low energy point. That's, that's the destination of all energies. You know, heat moves towards cold. The strong negative electric current moves towards the positive so that it can even out and become neutral, right? The lower energy state. And yet life does the opposite, right? It collects energy, it concentrates it, and it moves on, right? So like when we eat, we're eating energy concentrated in a plant or a piece of meat or something like that. And that was all concentrated by life. It was something moving against the natural progression of energy, and it's a form of dissipative system. So dissipative systems are interesting to me. Um, At one point, I was working at a company, and we created an integration between two different systems. Uh, I think one was like a support ticketing system where people would email in and we'd email back through it, and the other one might have been an in-house tool that we had to you know, track things that customers were using or something like that. And both of the systems that were were integrated through this tool were replaced. They're upgraded. And so at one point, the ticketing side was upgraded, and we had to replace that section of things. And then the other side was upgraded, and we had that section of things. And that was over 95% of the, the program that was rewritten. And yet, if you analyzed how the program worked, the structure hadn't changed at all. It worked the exact same way, even though almost all of the program had been replaced. It was the same program and so it was interesting. it was a dissipative system. There's this structure that outlasted the form in which it was created. There's this famous concept of the ship of Theseus and And the idea is that each piece of the ship was replaced, you know, one by one over time. And is it still the same ship as when it left? Right? It's a philosophical question. Um, because if I replaced each thing one at a time and I had a completely new ship, but it'd been the same ship the whole time, I could still take the original pieces and rebuild the old ship. And which one is really the, the ship of Theseus, um, you know and and philosophically you you know you have to figure out where you stand on that i guess there's the you know the idea that if i just replaced one board from a ship that's rotting i haven't built a new ship but you know you could you could have an axe in your family and sometimes you replace the handle and sometimes you replace the head but you've kept it in your family you know how many axes is that is it one is it many it's hard to say um and and so If you kind of pull away from the philosophical aspect, is the ship of Theseus one or two ships? And look at the ship of Theseus as a dissipative system. The ship is sort of defined by the relationship of all the boards. And some boards can come in and some can come out. And so that's another way to kind of imagine a dissipative system. Um, Organizations are dissipative systems so you could you could use the broadest definition you want of an organization right it could be a you know company it could be a church it could be a club but organizations have people that move in and people that move out but the structure of the organization lives beyond the individual members right if we talk about uh you know the say the Congress right uh, the United States Congress and the Senate every two years, a third of the Senate is up for re-election, and some fraction of those people retire, some fraction leave, and new ones come in, and yet it's the same Senate. They have their standing rules of the Senate, and those go beyond the individual terms of any senator. Likewise, the uh, standing nature of the government is is long-lived, but beyond the lifetime of the people in it. Um, now, some organizations can last for a very long time. There's a hotel called Nishiyama Onsen Um uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right because I don't know Japanese. It's the oldest hotel in the world. It started in the year 705 A.D. That's over 1,300 years ago. And it's been operated by 52 generations of the same family. I think in recent years it was... Um, moved into a, a holding company of some kind. Um, but that's in the last decade or two, right? So 1,300 years in the same family. It's still operating. I checked it out. You can go right now and uh, book a room. It sounds really cool. They have a hot spring uh, nearby, which is why they built the hotel there. It served samurai. And every room in today's hotel has uh, like hot spring water Piped into like a constantly flowing bath, so you can go in the privacy room, hang out in the hot spring, and every room now has Wi-Fi, so you can download Brighter Evening and listen to it while you're in the in your little hot spring bath. I think that would be fantastic. If you do that, please send an email and let us know. Uh, the only company that's older than that is Congo Gumi. And it's a construction company that was started around the year 57. Uh, sorry, 578 AD. Uh, the reason I lead with the hotel is because uh, this construction company was purchased in 2006 by another company. So it still exists, it's still operated, but it's operated as a subsidiary of a, a larger company. So you've got to kind of think about that how you will and and decide if that uh if that's still an existing company or not being that it's a subsidiary but that's 150 years older right it's uh it's like 1450 years that this organization has existed so it's a dissipative structure and it's it's persisted through the replacement of every single part many many times and it's still doing the same things I find the hotel example, right? this Nishiyama Onsen Kyunkan, I'll say it again because it's hard. Um, <laughs> this hotel I find really interesting because as a hotel, you have a staff, but you also have a building. The building has been renovated and you know essentially replaced. who knows how many times, as has the staff. but because of the physical structure of the hotel, they sort of have to stay true to what they were originally doing. And I find that fascinating because it's kind of a, a, a piece of this that forces the dissipative structure to remain doing what it was designed to do. And that's a theme that we'll come back to when we talk about lasting organizations in a little bit. Uh, one other example of an organization is a sports team. Now, there's the old Jerry Seinfeld joke that people are rooting for laundry, right? That... You get all excited because you see your favorite team, right? You like the, the Red Sox or the Yankees or the the Washington Nationals or you know, you like the Heat or the Sonic or the Bruins or you know, whatever team it is, right? You're a Steelers fan, you're a you're a Broncos fan. So you, you dress in the same same colors, you know, you wear a Broncos jersey, you wear whatever it is. And in some sense that's true, right? You're rooting for something that has the same colors it had last year and a similar uniform. But I also look at that kind of concept of having a favorite team that you root for over time, kind of pulling in this concept of a dissipative structure. So it's incredibly rare for the management and all the players to be kicked off a team the same year that they change stadiums and get a brand new uniform. That's not how it happens. Players are traded from time to time. Managers or coaches come in from time to time and replace other ones. There are assistant coaches and assistant managers and things. All these different pieces, right? And there's an organization around professional sports teams that does all the sales and promotions and marketing. They have uniforms. The uniforms don't change drastically, usually from year to year. And oftentimes when they do, it's to look like a much older uniform. There's a continuity inside sports teams that does make that team distinct because of its history. right? People come in, people go out. It's another form of dissipative system. It's another dissipative system organization. And that's why you can have teams that last and remain compelling. There's a certain amount of people like the team, and so the team gets... You know, box office sales, and and because of that they're able to you know, afford the better players and, and it self-perpetuates, but that's sort of the point, isn't it? That's why the team maintains what it is, because the fans are the fans. Um, beyond, I guess I'd call them formal organizations, organizations as such, things that are registered entities, there's also cities. Now, to be fair, in the modern world, cities are formal organizations, and they have charters and, and all this stuff, but that hasn't always been the case. Cities form for a lot of reasons, but usually it's because they're near a resource. The oldest cities, it's probably because they're by water, or it rains plenty and you can get water easily, and there's food. Um, that's, that's why people move into cities, because there's a resource there. Right? People move into some cities because there's a lot of work today. That's the resource we're interested in today, well-paying jobs. The oldest city in the world is Argos, Greece. It's moved between a village and a city for about 7,000 years, which, again, makes it older than Gilgamesh. Um, its recorded history only starts about 4,000 years ago, so from the time of Gilgamesh. Um, but consider that. There's a l- there's a great list of cities on, on Wikipedia. It's linked in the show notes. And you can go through and look at how old some of these cities are. Um, and it's kind of fun to see which ones you've been to, because they have like the oldest city in different countries and different continents and stuff. Um, and it's it's fun to see that, you know, in some cases, major cities are pretty old. right? Major cities in the country. But in many cases, it's like Greece. Argos isn't the place you think of in Greece as the as the capital city or a prominent city necessarily, but it is the oldest. People have been there for a long time. There's a reason for it. People have moved in and people have moved out. And cities are clearly dissipative. They're made of people, buildings, and roads. And none of those are permanent. People move in and out of cities. People are born and die. The the buildings. Some buildings last a really long time because people like them or they're historic and beautiful or they're useful, right? Some buildings last a short period of time. They're torn down and built again. And streets are pretty long-lived in cities, especially today, but that doesn't mean they'll always be there. I mean, I've certainly been in a city when they're tearing up a road to put in a new subway line, or you know, there are cities where they close down streets and make them pedestrian areas. You could certainly imagine that in these pedestrian areas, at some point, they tear down some of the buildings and build new buildings that are more convenient to fully pedestrianized areas. All that stuff makes sense. And yet the city persists as an entity and it has a character and a nature that's a result of its history, the people who have lived there, the people who do live there, and the resources that are nearby. So cities are an interesting thing uh, that we can think of as a a long-lived uh human creation. And not intentionally. Right? So you know, you wanna you wanna think about permanence, maybe not as permanence, but about being long-lived, because we don't know what permanence would truly mean. Um, you know, you could imagine in an era far in the future, if if things progress like in in science fiction movies, where maybe permanence is possible, we can build something that lasts forever. Elon Musk's car that he launched in the the test of the uh, was it the Falcon 9 rocket that's in a solar orbit, that'll be orbiting for at least a million years. And that's longer than anything that we've created to date, right? And and there's other things that are going to be out in orbit and out in space for quite a while. We don't know when the um, Voyager spacecraft are going to stop. At the time of recording, both Voyager spacecraft are over 140 times further from the sun than the earth is. Um, It's incredibly far out, and they're going to keep going. We have that golden record that maybe one day will be found by another civilization. Who knows? If it is, it's going to be pretty interesting because that will be, uh, unless we advance significantly in between then and now and we find it ourselves, that'll be the most permanent thing ever created by humans. At least potentially. That could be millions of years in the future. So, long-lasting is a possibility. We've done some things that will last a very long time. But how do you build a lasting organization? Well, I think that it, it's important to have symbols and values. And I feel like in a lot of companies, they're, they try to, to do the values thing in a way that doesn't make sense. They sit around and decide what values they want the company to have, and they put them up on posters and i think really what you need to do is take in the early days of a company take stock of who works there and what they truly value and if the leadership is reflecting it and if so you can be explicit about that and if not you have to inculcate it over time and and do it through leadership and management and who you hire and reinforcing certain things and if you've got if you've got values um that are true, then it'll it make sense when people see them. Um, so values are passed down a lot of different ways. Values define what membership in the group means, right? Membership in the company, membership in religion. Um, you can pass down values a lot of different ways, right? By example, religions pass down values and keep a group coherent. Languages do the same. Nations have values, right? A nation's values are what they'll put ahead of their interest, right? Any any time that you could have a, a say, short-term advantage, whatever, that's something that's in your interest, right? If you've got um, a lot of oil and you want to sell that oil, that's in your interest. But maybe you have a another value, like you vow, value human rights, and so you won't sell that oil to a country that doesn't have good human rights, right? That's That's where values really lie, right? Your values are where you what you put above your interests. I don't remember who I heard say that, but it's always stuck with me. And so if you have values, that's a start, right? It's an important piece because that's a big piece of what keeps the organization's character over time and keeps it from dissipating as a dissipative system, um, losing its you know its interrelations. Another thing is symbols. Um, we, we're all familiar with the idea of logos and how powerful those are, but we also think about how powerful it is to see the flag of the country you grew up in, right? What that means something to you, if you're happy with your country or you're happy with its values, then it probably is a source of pride or something to identify with. If you're unhappy with your country, if you feel like it's treated you really poorly, um, or that it's a bad force in the world, maybe you look at your flag and say, well, where that flag is, bad things go. Um, but flags are important. They're a symbol of the nation, and the oldest flag is the Scottish flag. It's from the year 832 A.D. Um, that's a symbol of the nation. Think of the crown on top of those be, keep calm and carry on signs. Why was that there? Well, it was a sign they put up in World War II in Britain. In a, in a time of great difficulty, they didn't know what was going to happen. But the idea of the symbol of the royal family being there, their crown, saying, be calm and keep going. You can understand what a powerful thing that must have been in World War II when there were regular bombings and it had turned out all the lights in the city and it was scary. There are other symbols that are very powerful and people think about it. The symbol of the cross, the symbol of the crescent, the Star of David, right? These are symbols that symbolize a whole lot in a very small amount of space. right? These are very easy to draw symbols, and yet they are incredibly meaningful to people. Um, you can think about the Red Cross or Red Crescent. right? That big red cross on the side of, of a boat or on, on a hospital tells you this is a place that helps people. And that symbol is so powerful, it's specially protected even in war. Those symbols are important, and if you have good symbols for your organization, that can really help. And now, for it to be an organization, you need a system for people to move in and out of. Now, if you look at nations, right, you've got a regular succession. If it's a monarchy, right, it'll be through some some inheritance. Um, if it's a democracy, it's going to be through an election. But there's a regular succession. Um, religions will. You know, organized religions will typically have this as well. If you have the leader of the church resign, pass away, you know, retire, whatever it is, there'll be an, a system where they will a new person will be voted in or selected based on on some means. Um, companies often have a system for su- succession as well. Um, not always, uh, su- especially small companies, but larger companies will. And those sorts of things are often supported by state state laws, uh, state as in uh, national laws, right, Uh, de jure governmental laws, or by the bylaws of the organization. Um, but, But having that structure, right, the sort of structure that it says, you know, this person is the president of the organization and these are the leadership positions under it and those represent this section of the organization. Within each of those, they have certain positions. Those sorts of things that people can move in and out of. They are very powerful, and they're very important, because that allows the system to stay in place. So, we've talked about some of the oldest things, and we've talked about old organizations, things that are long-lasting and long-lived. And some of these are very old. But, what about you? Your life will end. And you may have various beliefs about what happens at that point. Regardless of what you believe happens, you probably want to have some sort of lasting effect. You want your memory to endure. I think the desire to have your memory endure is one of the oldest human desires. I don't know that for sure. But but it just makes sense to me that as people get older and they look at their, their family and their friends, they want to be remembered. And I think you should take heart in the fact that you've probably already had a lasting effect. You've done things, you've met people, and you've touched lives, and the ripples from that will continue forever. Um, You don't know what you've meant to people. You don't know what people have done because of something you said or something you did or an example that you were. Uh, And that effect... Hopefully you've lived a good life and it's for the good, um, but but just the nature of things, right? Every action has subsequent actions, and and you've had some effect on the world just by being a part of it. But beyond that, there are things you can you can do and you can look at. Um, cryogenics is a possibility. We don't know. Cryogenics may lead n- nowhere. My cryogenics is someone passes away and they get frozen with the hope that they can be unfrozen and reanimated in the future when their disease can be cured. Um, we don't know if that's really going to be that useful or not. And there, are, there's way more press on cryogenics than actual cryogenics happening. I think I I heard that there's less than a thousand people in cryogenics, but that's when you'll have to verify on your own because I'm not sure. Um you can do something so big that it's in a history book uh, and, and is remembered for that reason. This is harder than you probably expect. Um, you know, even even very famous people are forgotten pretty quickly. Um, if you want to be common knowledge and not just written in the history book, um, that's a high bar to clear. I mean, think about this: Who was the president of the United States 15 years before you were born? It's Probably hard to remember, right pick pick another country who's who's the king now, who's the president now? who was it thirty-eight years ago, who was it two hundred years ago? You could look that stuff up, but you know if it's not your country, you probably don't know. I one time went into the National portrait Museum in washington d c and there are portraits of all kinds of people all over the place, and most of them in this one room I was in had uh, two paragraphs summarizing the person's life. And even that, I didn't know who these people were And in, in this room. A lot, at least I, couldn't, I can't remember knowing anyone in that room. And at some point I stopped reading a lot of these, and it, it struck me that even two paragraphs, there were so many people there that, you know, that was too much. Now, if I was in there every day, yeah, I'd probably get to know the life of each of those people, right? But being common knowledge is tough. You might, you might get your name out there, you might not, but there are, are ways you can persist in memory, and that's going to come down to your family, your values, and your records. If you have a family, your children will never forget you, your grandchildren will know about you, your stories may pass down to your great-grandchildren or beyond. Um, you have to teach your family the values you think are important because those are the things that are going to propagate down through the generations. And if you record your life so that it can be shared, you will be remembered. Those stories will be remembered. Now, how do you do that? The easiest thing is to keep a journal. Write stuff down, right? Put put your papers together in an easy-to-consume way so that they can reconstruct your life. going can be incredibly valuable to your, your children and grandchildren. You can take photos, physical printed photos and And uh, maybe digital photos, too. Those are a little bit harder. That's actually a lot harder. We're going to talk about that. Um, Voice recordings. All that kind of stuff are... All those sorts of things are very interesting and, and can save this information into the future. But we're moving into a digital world, and that is the challenge. Because if you want to pass this stuff on to a future generation, it's not as easy as you'd expect. Let's say that I had a really cool journal full of interesting stuff and I wrote it in nineteen ninety. Well, I probably saved it on a floppy disk, depending on how new my computer was. It might be a five and a quarter inch, it might be a three and a half inch floppy. Either way, do you have one of those drives on your computer? No? You might be able to buy one, you might be able to buy an old computer. What format is it saved in? Oh you're using WordStar. Can your computer read WordStar files today? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe if it's in a text file, you can. That sort of challenge is just going to get harder. And remember what I was saying earlier. The lifespan of these digital media are actually relatively short. So it needs to be moved on a regular basis to keep it alive. If you provide this stuff to your descendants, are they going to be able to take advantage of it? If it's in printed form, you know, photos and books and stuff, they can... But they're also hard to make copies of because, you know, all it, all it takes is a spill to destroy a, some of your photos. All it takes is a fire, and that journal is gone. So there are advantages to these digital ways of keeping things, but it's tricky to do it. So there are two really interesting projects for keeping your records and bringing them to the future. One is called Perkeep, and it's not. Not in a final version yet. They've been working on it uh, for a number of years. I actually checked their website, and there hasn't been an update in a couple of years. That made me suspect that maybe this project has kind of died or something. And then I went and looked at their um, where they keep their program, their source code, at GitHub, and they're actually actively working on it still. And it's a tool for organizing your data and files in a way that should be easy for future div- digital archivists to decode even without a specification. So it uses plain text and some basic explanation of different things and some formats that are likely to survive, like plain text is very likely to survive. JPEGs and PNGs and, and stuff like that are very likely to survive. And so it it tries to use standard formats and standard methods to keep this data in an in easy-to-get-to state. Um, some of the stuff is stuff that you would typically think of as files, like You know, pictures and and documents and things, but also there's things you wouldn't necessarily think of as files, such as tweets, and there are ways to integrate all that in and pull it into this archive. Um, And the archive is designed so that it can be spread between multiple locations. You could save it in Dropbox and on Google Cloud and on your own personal Nextcloud server, and you could save it out on um, you know on your hard drive and you maybe another computer you have, and you could share it all between these devices securely, synchronize them easily, and have lots of copies of it and not lose anything. It's a really neat project. Um, if you're a little technically inclined, they they have a YouTube video, I think it is, on their website. You can go look at it and get an idea of, of the goal. It's a very interesting project, and uh, it, it's really different, and it's something that, that I'm excited to see because a lot, of the, a lot of the ideas you see out there are kind of rehashes and stuff, but this is a, a, a new way of thinking for me, right? How do I make my data easy for someone 100 years in the future to decode? Even if they've never heard of Perkeep, but they just have this disk with data on it. That's kind of cool. Um, another one is permanent.org. Um, so this is interesting. It's sort of like cloud storage, but it's an organization dedicated to personal archives, and it's funded through a foundation. So The idea here is that you have this um, project where you donate $100 to get 10 gigabytes of storage in perpetuity or $1,000 for, I think it's 100 gigabytes or something like that. And they take that money and they put it in an investment fund or an endowment. And the profits from that endowment pay to continue operating this archive into the future. And so the idea is not, isn't not to replace Dropbox or or wherever you keep your files. It's not going to replace your next cloud server. The idea is that you take your most important stuff, the stuff you'd want to share with your family in the future or future generations of researchers who want to know what 2020 was like. You take all that stuff that is important to you and you'd put it in there. And with a you know, even with 1 gigabyte, that's quite a lot of writing that you can do. It's a good deal of pictures. You could even do some short videos of 10 gigabytes. You could do even more. Um, so there's there's plenty of room in there if you're being selective about what you put in there and only put in the stuff that's important to you, um, truly important to pass on. You could you could see how that foundation may work. Now, they're a new, new foundation. They just started. They've got some interesting people on their board, including one of the people behind uh, archive.org. So it's very much possible that they'll be able to pull this off, but it's also possible that it may not work. You know, it's it's too early to say. But I like the idea of things like archive.org, which is going out to take this ephemeral stuff that's out on the internet and turning it into something permanent and searchable. And not just that, also old games and old programs and stuff like that. Textfiles.org is trying to archive uh, the the writings that people did on BBSs in the like the eighties and nineties, right, before the internet was really a mainstream thing. A lot of these text files from the computer enthusiasts of the time were passed around. Uh, permanent.org is very much in the spirit of that, and and I really like that. Um, there's you know also some other things. I think I've mentioned the um, Svalbard Seed Vault, and there's the uh, GitHub is doing something very similar to that with the kind of a code vault where they take code as of a certain date and they put it in this vault in Svalbard, which is a very far northern place so that all the open source code that's on github will be available in the future so that you know if something happens where a lot of this gets lost a future society will be able to go back and reclaim all this effort that's been put into creating all kinds of stuff really interesting so if you're looking to have a lasting effect and have your memory endure there there's hope you can start with some of these things the uh, you know these digital tools you can do analog tools. You can hand stuff off to your family. If you pick good stuff and, and you tell stories, humans love stories. We do. And, and you can pass those along. And with that, I'm going to close with this idea. We should enjoy the legacy of our forebears. We're here because of what they did. And our world is an amazing place because of it. And we should... Strive to leave a legacy for those who came after us. Because if we do well, that can be part of our permanent legacy. My name is Josh, and this is Brighter Evening. Thank you for listening to Brighter Evening. I hope I've made your evening brighter. You can subscribe to us by RSS on Google or Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more information on the show or this episode, please visit brighterevening.com.